It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. We've been discussing Vardy Bauckham's four questions that can be used to test the quality of worldviews. Who am I? Identity. Why am I here? Meaning. What is wrong with the world? Morality. How can what is wrong be made right? The Christian's calling. I suspect that the question of where did I come from, origin, can be entailed by the question of identity. Moreover, the question, where am I going, destiny, could be entailed by the Christian's calling question. So keep the idea that six questions could be used for a test for any worldview. This is not as detailed as the nine tests given in A World of Difference by Kenneth Richards Samples. Recall that I have said that a worldview is an all-encompassing perspective on everything that exists and all that matters to us. It is a frame of reference, a prism through which one makes sense of life and death, a way of viewing or interpreting all of reality, a collection of assumptions about the way reality is structured, It is not a physical view of the world, like the sight of the planet Earth you might get from an orbiting space station. Rather, it is a philosophical view of the world, and not just of our planet, but of all reality. Your worldview represents your most fundamental beliefs and assumptions about the universe you inhabit. It reflects how you would answer all the big questions of human existence, the questions we ask about life, the universe, and everything. For example, is there a God? What is truth? Etc. Controversial ethical issues such as abortion, euthanasia, capital punishment, homosexual activity, transgenderism, etc., are powerfully impacted by worldview considerations. Therefore, it is critical to have a view that is genuinely clear and distinct. Worldviews are like cerebellums. Every human being has one, and we can't live without them. But not everyone knows that he has one. That is a quote from What's Your Worldview by James N. Anderson. The important question, is my worldview a good one or a bad one? History is part of our worldview. We ignore history at our own peril. 
If we want to have guidance about future courses of action, we must always look to the past to understand how certain cultures, religions, and societies have behaved and are likely to behave in the future. Today, I wish to continue my discussion of the Islamic worldview and determine its quality. I have already shown that Allah and Yahweh are vastly different in character and nature. Only one can be true. I have said Allah is the false one. During the ninth month, Ramadan, in the Arab calendar in 610 AD, an Arab businessman named Muhammad ibn Abdullah had an experience, either real, imagined, or invented, that changed the history of the world. Every year at this time, Muhammad would retire to a cave outside of Mecca, where he prayed, fasted, and gave alms to the poor. According to Carol Armstrong in her book, Islam, A Short History, Muhammad had long been concerned that the Arab society was in a crisis. In recent decades, his tribe, the Quraysh, had become rich by trading with the surrounding countries. Mecca had become a thriving mercantile city, but in the rush for wealth, some of its old tribal values and practices had been lost. Instead of looking after the weaker members of the tribe, as the nomadic code prescribed, the Quraysh were now intent on making money at the expense of some of the tribe's poorer clans. Arabs knew that Judaism and Christianity, practiced in the nearby Byzantine and Persian empires, were more advanced than their own pagan traditions. For one thing, Allah, the Arab God, had sent the Arabs no prophet and given them no scripture in their own language. But that changed on the night of 17 Ramadan, when Muhammad woke to find himself overpowered by what he called a devastating presence, which squeezed him tightly until he heard the first words of a new Arabic scripture pouring from his lips. Over the first two years, Muhammad kept quiet about his experience, but confided only to his wife Khadijah and her cousin Mualakwah, a Christian. Both were convinced that these revelations came from God, but it was only in 612 that Muhammad felt empowered to preach and gradually gained converts. Muhammad continued having these experiences, and the Quran was revealed to him verse by verse, surah by surah, during the next 21 years, making Muhammad the conduit for Allah, revealing his will. So now Islam had a scripture. Moreover, as a result of his revelations, Muhammad became the prophet for all times and places, the final and supreme prophet. Now Islam has its own prophet.
prophet. Muhammad created a new religion that would eventually be called Islam, meaning surrender. A Muslim was a person who made this submission of their entire being to Allah and his demand that human beings behave toward one another with justice, equity, and compassion. It was an attitude that was expressed in the prostrations of the ritual prayer, which Muslims were required to make three times a day. Later, this prayer was increased to five times daily. Muhammad had acquired a small following and eventually had some 70 families that converted to Islam. At first, the most powerful men in Mecca ignored the Muslims, but by 16, they had become extremely angry with Muhammad, who they said reviled the faith of their fathers and was a charlatan who pretended to be a prophet. They were especially incensed by the Quran's description of the last judgment. On the last day, Arabs were warned that the wealth and power of their tribe would not help them. Each individual would be tried on his or her own merits. Why had they not taken care of the poor? Why had they accumulated fortunes instead of sharing their money? The powerful men construed this as striking at the heart of their dog-eat-dog commercialism and were not likely to look kindly on this kind of narrative. So opposition to Muhammad and Islam grew. The powerful leaders in Mecca feared Muhammad was plotting to take over the leadership of Mecca. Relations deteriorated rapidly, and the city boycotted the Islam clan, forbidding the Quraysh to marry or trade with the Muslims. This meant that no one could sell them food. The ban lasted for two years, and the food shortages may well have contributed to the death of Muhammad's wife. Thus, Muhammad was ready to listen to a delegation of chiefs from Yathrib, an agricultural settlement 250 miles north of Mecca. Eventually, by 622, the Muslim families slipped away to Yathrib and renamed their settlement Medina. This migration marks the start of the Muslim era because it was at this point that Muhammad was able to implement the Quranic ideal fully and that Islam became a factor in history. So Islam was chased out of Mecca, took refuge in Medina, where in time Muhammad raised an army to protect their religion from opponents in Mecca and the regular citizens in Medina. In the beginning, Muhammad's revelations sounded peaceful. That's the Mecca period. But when he required his army, the revelations changed, and his religion became militant. Do you think these revelations came from Yahweh, the loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible? I think from what follows about the Islamic history 
you will be convinced that Muhammad's revelations now were not from Yahweh. The following information comes from the book Islam versus the United States by Nicholas F. Papanokolau. If you need additional information, this book can supply that. After gaining an army, Muhammad then unleashed an unprecedented torrent of fear, bloody conquest, and forced conversion to Islam. In 629, Muhammad challenged the Byzantine emperor. Soon after, Islam was laying siege to the gates of Europe, attacking the Byzantine empire on the east and the soft underbelly of Europe in Spain, France, Greece, and Italy. Almost immediately after Muhammad's death, the army continued its terror. It attacked the Persian Empire to the east and Armenia to the northeast. The Byzantine Empire, headquartered in Constantinople, stood alone protecting the eastern flank of Christian Europe from about 700 AD until 1453, when it fell to the Ottoman Turks. The Turks were an Islamic empire and simultaneously the center of the caliphate, the rule or reign of a caliph or chief Muslim ruler. The Muslim army had now become a juggernaut. The Mediterranean had become an unsafe sea where Muslim piracy based on the Barbary coast in North Africa operated at will taking Christian ships hostage and selling Christians into slavery. By the 16th century, the situation in the Mediterranean was so desperate that 20,000 Christians were being abducted by Muslim pirates every year from the coastal zones of Greece, Italy, France, and Spain, and sold into slavery in the bazaars of Algeria. Nothing and no one was safe. The Christian kingdoms of Europe eventually attempted to band together in the First Crusade in 1095 AD to counterattack and limit the expansion of Islam and to retake Jerusalem. Let me pause to address another point of misinformation. Militant Muslims repeatedly claim that they took up arms to fight the Crusaders. The implication is that the Crusaders were the first aggressors. Nothing can be further from the truth. The Muslim aggression and conquest all along the coast of the Mediterranean had turned the Mediterranean Sea into a Muslim lake well before the First Crusade. Allow me to end this episode by reminding you to exercise daily. Walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. 
And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.